Good afternoon. I am Dr. Tanya Roberson, Director of Community Engagement, Program Development, and Academic Support at Governor State University in the College of Health and Human Services, and your host for Governor State University's Southland Health and Wellness Hour. The Southland Health and Wellness Hour is not the traditional health and wellness podcast, nor is it intended to provide medical advice. This is a community-engaged podcast for residents of South Chicago and the Chicago Southland, where individual and community stories and situations serve as a foundation for a discussion. This is where we can begin to address unanswered questions about health inequities and concerns, and where we might find possible solutions to these issues. This podcast brings together community members, leaders and organizations alongside topic experts to address social trends, a variety of health and wellness topics, and to provide community resources to improve the lives of our listeners. The guest statements are their own and do not reflect the policies or opinions of Governor State University. Thank you for joining us. We have a great topic today, social justice examples and practices. The first time I ever heard the term social justice, I just simply had no idea what it was. To me, it kind of sounded so highfalutin and grandiose, like it was asking people to be some sort of power rangers, like a superhero crew that would just come in and save the world. But since then, however, the term has been used more and more and pounded into my head every time I turn on the television or listen to the radio by community advocates, activists, and progressive politicians. According to the National Association of Social Workers, social justice is defined as the view that everyone deserves equal economic, political, and social rights and opportunities. Per the New Oxford American Dictionary, the same term is defined as justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privilege within a society. And lastly, the Center for Economic and Social Justice defines social justice as the virtue which guides us in creating those organized human interactions that we call institutions. Now, all three of these definitions seem to be describing wholly separate concepts, but the fact is that none of the definitions spell out anything concrete about social justice or how social justice actually works in terms of both theory and execution. The title of our show today is Social Work for Social Justice, Examples and Practices. And we have two wonderful guests who will share their perspectives on this very real topic. Our first guest is Dr. Cheryl Green. She is the sixth president of Governor State University and the first African-American female leader of the Jaguar family. She is a passionate educator and administrator with a broad knowledge base across academia. Most of her scholarly research is focused on increasing student achievement and delivering community-based health initiatives to diverse student populations. She is committed to providing and developing support to help non-traditional students reach their educational goals. Dr. Green believes fiercely in the power of education and social justice 
to change lives. Welcome, Dr. Cheryl Green. Our second guest is Dr. Jerry Outlaw. She is the Department Chair of Social Work in the College of Health and Human Services at Governor State University. She is also a part of the National Association of Deans and Directors School of Social Work. One of Dr. Outlaw's areas of research is focused on how Black women live with HIV and AIDS. She has examined community-based approaches to HIV and AIDS prevention and education for Black women on the west side of Chicago. Welcome, Dr. Jerry Outlaw. Before we start, listeners, we want to invite you to contact us comment about this podcast and ask questions about social justice and social work. Visit the GSU podcast website where you will find a link to drop us a line as well as useful takeaways and community resources for the visually impaired and hard of hearing and in English and Spanish. The website address is in the podcast description. If you need the most up-to-date and reliable source for information, pertain to social justice issues and resources, go to the Social Justice Resource Center Facts and Figures at www.socialjusticeresourcecenter.org. like to start today's podcast off with a quote by youth poet laureate Amanda Gorman from her inauguration day poem. She quotes, we've learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always justice. My first question is directed to Dr. Green. Dr. Green, Social justice has to do with the belief that all people should have equal rights and opportunities. However, there is a lot of confusion about exactly what this means. Let me begin by asking you, how do you define social justice? Well, Dr. Roberson, my definition of social justice is consistent with the concept you described, and it focuses on how we address disparities and inequities. In a book by Adams, Bell, and Griffin, Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice, they reflect and, and explain that social justice is both a process and a goal. And the goal of social justice in education is full and equal participation of all groups in society that is shaped by an effort to meet their needs, which results in all of the members feeling psychologically and physically safe. And it includes five principles, access, equality, human rights, diversity, and participation. Okay, thank you for that excellent explanation, Dr. Green. My next question is directed to Dr. Outlaw. Dr. Outlaw, 
social justice is recognized as a core value of social work and social workers apply passion when advocating for vulnerable groups of people like children, seniors, minorities, and those with disabilities. Because of this, social work is tied to social justice for these groups. Based on your experience, can you elaborate on the social work program social justice framework? Yes, I'd, I'd uh, like to begin by just talking about how we come to gain perspective on social justice. And I'd like to start with just a, a simple story. As we were all growing up, received many messages about fairness and justice. And I'm sure all of us experienced a child or even ourselves saying, well, that's just not fair. Yeah, right. um, and, uh, and sometimes we get uh, responses from adults like, well, life just isn't fair. And we get the messages as we're growing up around what constitutes, what does that mean? It's not fair. And how adults might address it can sometimes instill in children as we age and grow up, we, uh, we, it puts us in a position of having to take it. When you say it's life isn't fair, we come to expect it. Right. And, and what does that do to one's own human agency? So with that in mind, everybody has a position on social justice. They may not know it, uh, but everyone has one. And we usually grow up and it form, as children we grow in and it forms us as adults. Sometimes we're able to discard it, sometimes we're not. That position of being, of being powerless and unable to change a system. So we know that everybody has a position on, and on social justice. And I wanna talk a little bit about now about social work and the framework or the uh, social justice oriented social work uh, curriculum that we have. There's a, um, an understanding of exactly what is a social worker. And, and, and some describe the social work as a practice that involves enhancing people's problem solving and coping capacities, mm -hmm. linking people to resources and services, promoting humane and just social service systems, participating in the development of social policy, engaging in research, and changing adverse conditions. Both of these statements encompass sort of the dual focus of social work, addressing individual needs and promoting uh, social conditions that help people to exercise their own, in, under their own volition, um, getting their needs met. So the focus is on the individual as well as the social conditions that inhibit individual uh, development. In, in, our, in our process, we, we too look at uh, social justice as a process and goal. We have adopted a social justice framework that consists of five things, meaning and the making of meaning, and we all make meaning of, of what happens to us and our experiences, context, power, understanding power relationships, history, and possibilities. It's a, it, I, I would describe it as the kind of framework that allows one to examine reflectively uh, meaning, context, and power, and history. And this can be done at the individual level in practice or at the community level in practice. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea is to undercover possibilities for um, creating change 
and, and preparing people to uh, act as uh, meaning, meaning makers and um, as actors in their own lives to achieve the goals that um, they seek. Okay, thank you, Dr. Outlaw, for sharing all of that great information. Okay, now let's explore some major social justice issues. Dr. Green, what are some of the most common social justice issues that have come to the forefront at different times? And please talk about how these issues have impacted minority communities. Well, there are a whole list of uh, issues that have impacted minority communities. Let me just name some of the major ones. Okay. Let me start with an example that I think will give a lot of meaning and clarity to the example. And the one that's most germane for us. Let me talk about education okay. injustice. Okay. When factors like wealth, gender, mm -hmm. and or race determine what kind of education an individual can receive, that's an example of social injustice. The national unemployment rate for black and brown people, national mortality rates for black and brown people, environmental racism, whereby people of color live in communities with more toxic waste, and less access to clean water, safe housing, fresh foods, et cetera. And by the way, this is done by design. Mm -hmm. Voter rights suppression that we all are very aware of that occurred during the civil rights. And let me fast forward to the 21st century where what happened in Georgia was a prominent example of voter mm -hmm. rights suppression, mm -hmm. healthcare, inequities, housing segregation, gender inequality, immigration uh, policies, overall poverty, wealth distribution and quality of life have a disproportionate impact on marginalized communities. And those are all living examples of social injustice. I could continue with other examples and statistics, but let me just hit one more that is very prominent and has systemic impact. The incarceration rate yes. in America mm -hmm. by race and ethnicity. Yes. Basically the prison policy initiative demonstrates that for every 100,000 people who are black, 2,306 of them are incarcerated as compared to for every 100,000 white Americans, only 450 are incarcerated. So there's data that breaks this down by Latinx, Native Hawaiian, uh, Native Americans and Asians, but overwhelmingly the largest uh, gap is between Blacks and whites. And again, that's an example of social injustice that affects the Black and Brown community in a tremendous way. Okay, thank you, Dr. Green. Those indeed were great examples. Um, Dr. Outlaw, do you have any other examples of social injustice issues that you'd like to share? 
I, th I think Dr. Green uh, uh, covered uh, yes. a massive amount of it, but uh, yes. I can speak to, even though in our, our profession, which is probably social work, that is, um, is probably the most diverse uh, profession that there is in the human services, the diversity is obvious. But there was a recent report that was, came out in December of 2020 where, where uh, the Council on Social Work Education looked at two, 2020 uh, graduates and um, uh, MSW graduates in particular. And one of the, the, the findings that was very disconcerting was that the debt disparity between white MSWs who graduate and black MSWs and who graduate, as well as Latin, Latinx um, uh, students. And it was interesting that it's a $20,000 difference between black graduates in terms of their loan debt. Comp uh, it, it's 60,000 on average across the country. And um, for white MSWs, it was $46,000. And that was actually a startling difference. And that too is a reflection of disparity, just in terms of the, the, the ability to afford an education. And then you have uh, many of, most students are on loans and uh, some students can't, can't get a graduate uh, degree um, because of the cost. Uh, and not to mention the fact that uh, it's uh, social work uh, professionals um, who complete a master's program the salary differential is also there between whites and blacks. So that's just an example of a great disparity and, and actually a call to action um, yes. in terms of what we can do about reducing that gap. Okay, thank you, Dr. Outland. Okay, the layers of COVID-19 has impacted everyone and everything because the COVID-19 pandemic is not only a health and mental health crisis, it is also a crisis of social injustice. Social work practitioners, educators, and policymakers are working to address the needs of these populations despite the unpredictability of the virus. Dr. Green, as the Jaguar leader, what are your plans for Governor State University to address this social justice crisis? Well, first of all, let me start by giving a shout out to our existing Institute for Politics, Public Service, and mm -hmm. Social Justice. So prior to my arrival, Governor State University was already invested in addressing social justice through this institute. And this institute is dedicated to providing government agencies and nonprofits with data-driven solutions to ensure organizational and fiscal sustainability. There are faculty from the College of Arts and Sciences mm -hmm. in various disciplines that contribute to that work. But my vision for GSU includes a desire to strengthen and expand the existing efforts and operations of that institute. I would like to see as a part of where we go in the future, an annual speaker series on relevant topics, campus climate assessments, okay. teaching and curriculum redesigns, faculty led research and partnership with students. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the tenets of high impact practices 
social justice themed performances in the CPA, the Center for Performing Arts. And by the way, they already have a robust program. Uh, community service internships with uh, community organizations, campus-wide training on social justice. I would like to see a legal clinic that is free for our students to use because of what I referenced earlier in terms of the drive to have black and brown people get caught up in the legal injustice system. Mm -hmm. I have already started the process of hiring a chief diversity officer who will also lead in many of these efforts and activities. Okay. I'm going to reestablish the campus inclusion team. And last but not least, all of this will take funding and institutional support, which I intend to gather and uh, build as we move forward. Okay, wow. Thank you, Dr. Green. Those were some excellent plans. Um, Dr. Outlaw, how does the social work program implement the social justice framework in the ITS curriculum to ensure that our graduates are distinguished by their preparation and commitment to practice grounded in social justice ethics. This justice framework that uh, I briefly introduced is, is really the vehicle through which we deliver a curriculum. Our mission is in delivering a curriculum where we prepare social work practitioners grounded in a social justice ethic. So that means that social justice themes, the ones I talked about, meaning, context, power, history, and possibility is integrated throughout our curriculum. And, and it is intended to not only uh, provide a framework for understanding injustice, but also a framework for practicing okay. grounded in a social justice ethic. Our faculty are um, well grounded in social justice theory, but this framework has actually taken uh, a number of practice theories and combined them to create this, uh, the framework I discussed. Um, and uh, we have measures in terms of uh, measurement tools to assess the extent to which students have, have grasped, practiced, and identified skills in social justice grounding. It's addressed in our field placements and uh, in our field curriculum. But um, the expectation is that they bring this framework to practice, whether they're practicing in a community or an individual or a family or a child. But it's intended to be the method by which they understand and develop practice given the context out of which people are found. And, and also this framework is also applied to the, the students themselves. We all come from a certain lo social location and we all have meaning. And, and me the thing about meaning, it can be misinterpreted and interpreted always. And our interpretation, of, for an example, um, since uh, Dr. Green talked a little bit about um, uh, social justice in terms of our criminal justice system, the understanding that some people might have about policing in communities mm -hmm. maybe have has a different meaning for people in those communities that are policed and where racial profiling is, is prolific and, and there's little or no accountability that the institution is held to 
So people who live in those communities are well grounded in understanding uh, what it is, it's how they respond to it. So the meaning for uh, whites and non-people of color um, is very different around policing. Policing mm -hmm. is seen as protective and a wonderful service to the community. So the meaning that we attach to uh, our beliefs and our expressions are always to be examined. And that's where you learn to interpret how the community you're serving or the, or, or the individuals you're serving, mm -hmm. um, it is that understanding of what the meaning is of those experiences to them we have to address in practice. Yes, uh, uh, and understanding, uh, having some sense of a power analysis is, mm -hmm. is, is really crucial in terms of understanding um, uh, how you can promote yourself and achieve your own uh, 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 goals in terms of addressing the needs that you have. And um, some might look at, there are a number of ways to look at power in terms of, is it power over, power with, is it um, uh, power to do and um, uh, a power within? And uh, 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 when we uh, look at some of the social movements of foot today is uh, the, Bl the Black Lives Movement is an example of power within where people who are experiencing the same and making the same meaning of policing and other uh, inequities in our criminal justice system where they are working collectively and building power within that can help bring about change. So um, uh, these are concepts that are, are, are integrated throughout our curriculum. Okay, thank you, Dr. Outlaw. Dr. Green, why do you think that the most available assistance to disadvantaged communities tend to focus more on immediate life and death concerns rather than on preventive strategies? So let me just say that most of my responses so far have been somewhat lengthy. This one is not. Okay. It is simple mm -hmm. and brief. Okay. I believe that in America, we have a well-established pattern of treating symptoms of a problem rather than creating solutions to eliminate problems. The best example of that is with medicine mm -hmm. and also now as germane to this discussion with social problems. Thank you very much, Dr. Green. Okay, Dr. Outlaw, can you speak about the disparities as a whole in the social work profession in terms of economic outcomes? I think I probably addressed that question, but not, not at this point. Uh, when I talked about the most recent survey on, on um, outcomes for our uh, graduates uh, that looked at racial dis disparities in terms of uh, the debt, in terms of income earned, uh, in terms of the length of time that it takes Black graduates uh, with MSWs and white uh, uh, graduates to um, uh, gain employment. Um, there's a disparity there. And also, uh, even though there is growing diversity in the field and always has been, um, but I think uh, one of the things about understanding institutionalized uh, racism or uh, systemic inequity is, is looking at who's in power, who makes decisions, whose voice is valued, and whose is not. Uh, 
sometimes the, the, the policies that derive are, are, we're not sitting at the table. Okay. And um, that's, that's, that's a, a, a crucial power uh, uh, situation where, where if you're not there, you're not heard yeah. and you're not, and you're ignored. And sometimes the only way to be heard it, uh, around disparities is to organize power. Right. So um, um, we've got systemic problems within our profession, as, as I'm sure others, other uh, prof professionals uh, have in theirs. But um, uh, the question is, what do we do about it? Yes. And I think that by, by uh, exercising certain power within, mm -hmm. that's, the best that's the best way to make a change. One might look at what has happened over the last year in terms of the racial disparities and, and policing and, um, uh, and, and the long list of, of victims of police uh, brutality. And one might say that, well, have we, um, uh, has this changed the country? Um, has, has, is it a wake up call? Perhaps. But until we see structures in place, to address those to to address those disparities, and until we see the people at the table forming those policies um, that look like us, mm -hmm. there will not be there, there will not be change. But I am forever hopeful. Yes, and solutions are definitely needed. There's a lot of problems, but we need to spend more time on focusing on some solutions for those problems. Mm -hmm. Okay, next. Let us discuss the role of racism, disparities, and inequities in social justice. Dr. Green, often racism and the resulting socioeconomic disparities and inequities are intertwined problems, one issue usually stemming from another. How do you think COVID-19 has illuminated these problems? Well, let me begin by saying that marginalized and underserved communities were vulnerable to the massive economic impact of COVID-19. Okay. When businesses closed, the unemployment rate for Blacks was 16.6% at its highest peak versus 12.4% for others. A large number of essential workers are people of color and the jobs for people of color were largely in the service industry in areas like dining, hospitality, transportation, caregivers, etc. Access to health care for testing, vaccinations, and medical treatment was disproportionately distributed. And remember, Black and Brown people also have underlying conditions that uh, exacerbated the experience of COVID-19. People of color were underemployed and underinsured. Mm -hmm. And so we have seen a great rise in homelessness, yeah. hunger, and mental health needs that became more prominent and pervasive as a result of COVID-19. Okay, thank you, Dr. Green. Dr. Outlaw, can you speak about the changes that have impacted the social work department's efforts due to COVID-19? Yeah, uh, yes, I can. Uh, in fact, there's a plethora of them. I'll begin with just in terms of the impact that it has had on, uh, on our faculty to begin with, 
we do not have or never had a fully online course. So there's a, uh, there was a major uh, effort to retrain, um, to, to, to get faculty upgrade all of their skills around online teaching. And also our students and the effect that it's had on our students, just in terms of the, the number of students who have tested positive, either have been had to leave their agency because of a COVID outbreak or have had to be on quarantine. It has been ex- educationally quite disruptive. Um, but part of, a, part of what we had to do was sort of retrain our field sites to come up with ways in which our students can, through a remote experience, gain skills and, um, and competencies in working with clients. But it's full, it, 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 it had to be cast in a, remote, in a remote environment. So that was a major task. And we've been um, actually quite surprised that we've got 90% or 95%, I'd say, of our students in a field practicum. Um, many of them are remote, but most of them are not. Uh, so out of that limited number and certainly uh, field placements where in hospitals were no longer available and nursing homes are no longer available uh, due to COVID. So what we've had to do, we've actually created a, a different kind of um, field placement and it's called the Community Practice Learning Lab. And it was uh, developed by two of our faculty where we created this and the work is in community, but remotely. The faculty actually, uh, in collaboration with the um, Southland Ministry Health Network, uh, was awarded $225,000 grant. And our students who are in this lab are are getting stipends uh, to do this work. All of our students uh, have taken contact training, either offered at at Governor State or in the Johns Hopkins model. And so the focus of this this project is um, uh, uh, part of the focus, the early focus was on uh, voter mobilization. Um, and uh, there was a massive voter mobilization uh, project that they put together uh, in the Southland. And then um, this, this award, now they're working on, public, on, on COVID education and, and public health uh, education in the community. So that's been a very creative and innovative way to um, fill the gap for some of our students who couldn't find a traditional uh, field placement because they just weren't available. So um, we've been fairly successful at doing that. And it's, an, it's, it's a model that um, uh, was really developed by two of, two of our faculty and, and uh, it's going quite well. All right, In fact, it may, it may be permanent. Permanent, okay, that'll be yeah. good. That it yeah. is much needed. Mm-hmm. Dr. Green. Oftentimes people hear about many of the disturbing issues that you mentioned earlier, but feel as though there's nothing that they can do to bring about a change. What are some ways that the average person can work to fight against racism, disparities and inequities? And how can we help people feel empowered to want to take action? Let me be very clear. We are not powerless. We must exercise our constitutional rights. And I firmly believe and know Mm -hmm. that education is a tool of empowerment. That is why I am a higher ed professional. And let me continue on. For the average person, 
Do not remain silent when you witness disparities, mm -hmm. inequities, and racism. Speak up. Yeah. Serve as an example of someone who is willing to provide solutions to problems in our society. Together, we can create and innovate and transform. Work to enroll more disenfranchised people in the voter registration process. Yeah. That's a huge one. That gets you at the table. Yeah. That makes your voice count at the local, state, and national level. Join community-based organizations that work to address daily living problems and inequities like local school boards, mm -hmm. the local YMCA and community centers. Participate in efforts to address structural racism in our institutions and government. Support efforts to teach racial tolerance. This is another big one. And it's something that we saw that was greatly lacking over the last several weeks. So again, support efforts to teach racial tolerance and cultural competency in our schools. Racism is a learned behavior. Last but not least, mm -hmm. no matter what degree or profession you work in, find time to volunteer for social, political, and economic change in your community. We want to invite you to contact us, comment about this podcast, and ask questions about social justice and social work. Visit the GSU podcast website where you will find a link to drop us a line, as well as useful takeaways and community resources for the visually impaired and hard of hearing and in English and Spanish. The website address is in the podcast description. If you need the most up-to-date and reliable source for information pertaining to social justice issues and resources, go to the Social Justice Resource Center, Facts and Figures, at www.socialjusticeresourcecenter.org. As the Director of Community Engagement in the College of Health and Human Services, my role is to meet people where they are and to help address some of the needs of the community members in the Southland and South Chicago and connect them with community resources or programs. We developed a short survey called, We Want to Hear From You, which asked community members what they want to learn more about or need. Here's a statement from a survey we took in the Roseland community, which is located in far South Chicago on December 17, 2020. Our respondent is a 38 year old black mother of three young boys who made the following statement. The murder of George Floyd in May at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer sparked an outcry from tens of thousands of protesters taking to the streets in June proclaiming Black Lives Matter. This terrible incident took place in the midst of a global pandemic 
that has disproportionately impacted communities of color and poor communities. My next question is directed to Dr. Green. Dr. Green, what advice would you give to the respondent as a black mother to share with her sons and other young black men to be safe as we continue to encourage peaceful demonstrations of our beliefs, but to also have the coping skills necessary to stand up for their beliefs in the unfairness of social justice and the double standards that are imposed on the black community and protect our youth from harm or murder. Let me um, start with this premise because mm -hmm. it shapes and directs a lot of what I do. I am the mother of a black son and I pray for his safety and the safety of our youth on a daily basis. There is a purpose and a mission to incarcerate and disenfranchise blacks. And Michelle Alexander in her book, The New Jim Crow, lays out a splendid trajectory about education, lack of education, and the criminalization of black and brown bodies. When slavery was abolished, social behavior was regulated for blacks only, such that walking down the street on the same side, mm -hmm looking into the eyes directly of a non-Black person, mm -hmm. talking back, even being unemployed and hanging out became criminal behavior. And policing Black bodies became a business to supplant slavery. Mm -hmm. It landed hundreds of thousands of people in jail with fines they couldn't pay mm -hmm. and forced them to become indentured servants or property of the state. And when that happens, you don't have any rights, mm -hmm. especially to vote. And I am a big fan of Brian Stevenson and his organization, the Equal Justice Initiative, which works to release wrongly imprisoned people of color from death row and life sentences. So getting back to your initial question with black mothers, mm -hmm. teaching kids their rights in the system is important. Mm -hmm. And police quite frankly should be the ones leading that effort, but they have not been safe for black and brown people. And I say that having a mother who worked in the criminal justice system mm -hmm. and a stepfather who was a police officer. Okay. So I know it from both sides of the aisle and we should have instructional programs for our youth yes. teaching them what their rights are and how to behave. You know, every black parent has had the conversation with mm -hmm. their child about what to do if they interact with the police. Are all police bad? No. Mm -hmm. But overwhelmingly, there is a critical problem of violence towards black and brown people by the people who are paid to protect them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And we have to teach our kids how to talk to people in authority, how mm -hmm. to interact with them, and how to protect their lives. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Dr. Green. And Dr. Outlaw, do you have anything that you'd like to add to this question? Well, I guess I could say um, ditto to everything that yes. uh, Dr. Green has said. Yes. And I, I, I can um, trace this all, about, all, all the way back to the question of fairness versus justice mm -hmm. and how um, your perspective on this will shape your actions in the future. So mm -hmm. what black parents uh, uh, should tell, uh, uh, tell their kids and, and, and we should instill some sense of their own human agency to make change in their own lives. And if we, mm -hmm. if, if we constantly give them the message that they can do. If it's not fair, it doesn't have to be that way and they can change it. So I think that um, uh, it requires um, uh, a great deal of support in, in raising uh, young men in particular. All the things that Dr. S uh, Dr. Green said about what we have to do with our young men. Uh, my, my son is, is no longer um, in the age category, but I'm, <laughs> well, I'm much older. <laughs> But I remember how terrified I was when he first learned to drive. And he had a group of friends that um, would go into the city and come back. And I remember his one encounter with law enforcement and, and he was about 16 or 17. And I remember he was stopped and all of, all of his friends were, they all had their cars. They mm -hmm. all happened to be white, his friends. And, but he was the only one mm -hmm. stopped. And what the, the level of humiliation he was subjected to because he was uh, the only, only black. It wasn't that he was feeding. It wasn't that he, he, made it, he, he violated any rules. Mm -hmm. It was simply because he was black. Yeah. That's why he was stopped. Right. Just the color of his skin drew the attention. Dr. Roberson, if I could yes. add one more point. Yes, please. Uh, I remember working at another institution and one of the faculty members was a lawyer. Okay. And her husband was the captain of police for a municipality. And she and he designed a program for uh, middle school youth. Mm. to teach them literally role play yes. what to do in various situations where you are interacting with the police. Right. And it was a very powerful program. It's something that I was very proud to support. And apparently we need to bring something like that back. Yes, we definitely do. That is much needed because at least that they know what to do that's right, they can make an informed decision because we all saw on national television that George Floyd followed everything that the police told him to do, but he still ended up being killed. Yes. So you still have to just take out extra measures. Okay, thank you both. Um, on January 18th, we celebrated in my eyes, a true King's birthday, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He influenced people all around the world and in a time of civil unrest. Dr. King advocated for peaceful approaches to some of society's biggest problems. Dr. Green and Dr. Outlaw, what other ways can communities actively advocate for their rights? I, I, think, that, I think that building uh, 
community capacity and working together and voting and all of those things are, 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 are part of it. But making sure that you are involved in the community, mm -hmm. that you are supporting the community, that you are ensuring that those institutions that serve the community are, are practicing in, in an equitable way. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only way to do this is to make sure you're part of it, part mm -hmm. of the planning, part, mm -hmm. of, part of the assessment, yes. part of the uh, choice of, of approaches to um, uh, bringing supports into the community. Yes. Every chance you get, all of those institutions that you as a family member or mother or father are involved in, making sure that you're part of the decisions that affect your community. Okay, and so you. if I had anything to add, it would be reinforcing um, some of the statements I made earlier and that Dr. Outlaw just made. And mm -hmm. that is one of the things we do is we vote in national elections and we fail to show the same participation rates at the local level. And mm -hmm. actually we have more impact and the outcome is more directly experienced by us at the local level. Yes. So we need to vote at the local level. We need to attend community forums mm -hmm. held by the aldermen, the townships, local boards, et cetera. We need to volunteer for agencies that work mm -hmm. to promote social justice. And the last thing I'll share is that I haven't mentioned before is that we need to conduct writing campaigns to our congressional mm -hmm. leaders mm -hmm. about the issues that concern us. When you flood their offices with petitions and statements about what you need and what you're concerned about, they listen because each one of those writing uh, documents is a registered voter. Yes. And to go and lobby because people, Congress, lawmakers, they make policies for people who they care about. So how do you make them care about you? You have to go tell them about what's going on with you. Take people to give testimonies. Testimonies are very powerful. I've gone on lobby day a lot of times at, to Washington, D.C., and those really work because they don't know about what's going on about with you unless you tell them. So groups and communities definitely need to do that. And they need to be at the inception of all policies and law changing. Absolutely. So our next question is directed to both guests again. Um, do you think that the pandemic and the George Floyd incident was a wake up call for communities? Well, I think it was a wake up call for the country. Okay. Um, but the, the communities that are impacted by poor policing and um, all of the flaws that we see in law enforcement, I think that communities of color are well aware of this. And I think that the fact of the matter is now we're living in, in, in an era where people who stand by are taking pictures. That's why it's a wake up to the country. But we've been experiencing this kind of inequity in regards to the police um, for many, many, many years. Yeah. And uh, now it's just more public. Right. So um, I would say it's, it's a wake up call for the country. Yeah, my comment is some of us were already woke. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me just say that. Okay. And regrettably, what happened to George Floyd was not new. 
-hmm. It was not new. What was new was that it was videotaped. Right. Which is why as a strategy during the civil rights movement, yeah. they love to have the TV crews show up because people were getting beaten and killed all the time. Yeah. But seeing it live on prime time mm -hmm. just brings a totally different awareness and sense of outrage about what you're seeing. Yes. And I would go on to say that when Mamie Teal decided to leave the coffin open for mm -hmm. Emmett, yeah. that was another wake up call because yeah. we saw it. And so the video was a wake up call uh, yeah. of the tragic murder of George Floyd. Yes. Black Lives Matter ongoing protests was a wake up call. COVID-19 impact was a wake up call and the national presidential election yes. all converged mm -hmm. to make America more woke. Yes. So I would like both guests to share some final words of wisdom for our listeners. And we can start with you, Dr. Green. Okay. I'm going to be brief because okay. <laughs> I could talk for okay. a long time about this issue. My words of wisdom are simply that we all, Black, white, brown, red, et cetera, need to contribute our time our energy, our talent, and our dollars to organizations that are working to eliminate social injustice. Yeah. And they need to attend schools like GSU <laughs> have made yeah. it a part of their mission mm -hmm. and their core values to address the needs of the community. And again, work to make social change and transform lives. Okay, thank you. And Dr. Outlaw? I, I would say get involved. Okay. Be the change that you want to see. Be change agents. It doesn't belong to any particular profession. We can all participate in bringing about change. And, and the one thing we have to do is stay, stay vigilant and be involved. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, lastly, do either of you have any social justice resources that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, I tried to identify social justice resources. And quite frankly, my limited uh, research efforts found that there were things all over the place. And so what it led me to conclude was that we need to create our own yeah. <laughs> directory of resources yeah. mm -hmm. and, and, and particularly by uh, region or locality because it varies so greatly, you yeah. know, depending on the type of social uh, injustice and the resources available and the demographics and so on and so forth. And, and maybe Dr. Outlaw has more information about this. But again, when I tried to identify critical resources with a broad uh, range of areas that it addresses, I, I found the uh, research lacking. 
And so my conclusion again is we need to create our own. Okay, that's a great idea. Thank you. I just have um, actually, actually, it's it's um, the African American Policy Forum ha has started a season about a, a series of uh, podcasts uh, entitled mm -hmm. "Under the Black Light," mm -hmm. and it's hosted by Kimberly Crenshaw, who is a civil rights uh, advocate and philosopher and a leading scholar of critical race theory, mm -hmm. uh, who has really uh, uh, developed the theory of intersectionality. And um, uh, this forum consists of broad spectrum of black scholars across the country and in Canada. And, um, but every topic regarding the issues we just, they're discussing around disparity, they, they have uh, experts who have weighed in on the issues that we're confronted with around disparity, equity, and injustice. I, I would recommend it, it's free. They take questions. Uh, but um, I think it's a wonderful resource, resource in terms of understanding or um, uh, bringing a critical eye to what's going on today. Dr. Robertson, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the NAACP. Okay. If I didn't mention the Urban League. Okay. And if I didn't mention the Southern Poverty Law Center. Okay. And Dr. Outlaw has already mentioned Black Lives Matter. So, you know, these organizations, and particularly the first uh, two, have been around for, you know, over 100 years addressing what we are all now trying to attempt to address. Right. And they all are actually excellent resources. Thank you both so much. <laughs>